Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Riverfront. This is episode number 441 of the World's Most Dangerous Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, with me again tonight. Nate, how are you, Nate? Chadwick, I am lovely. Thank you for having me on here once again to talk about the hottest ticket in town, the Cincinnati Bengals. No, we may have no. to talk about the Bengals a little <laughs> bit today, but that's not what we're here to talk about primarily, man. Come on, you know better than that. I know, wishful thinking, I guess. Yeah, no, we're going to talk about the Reds. And of course, this is a, just a, for those of you that have been paying attention to your podcast feeds or your YouTube feeds, you know this is our second episode of the week. So definitely go check out uh, the one that we recorded um, on Wednesday night with uh, Cam Miller, who has a new documentary coming out about uh, the Riverfront. Not about the show for some reason, but about the stadium, Riverfront Stadium. <laughs> so, um, and you know, uh, before we get into the, to the news and notes of the week and uh, some fun stuff, really great questions this week. Um, I just want to encourage everybody to, to go subscribe, whatever podcast app you're in, we're there. Subscribe to us so that you get every episode for free. If you're uh, on YouTube, give us a give us a follow there. Uh, subscribe and uh, and uh, and smash that thumbs up button while you're over there. And uh, I don't know, whatever. Uh, tell your mom that you listen to the show. I don't. Maybe that'll help. I don't know. Uh, Nate, let's talk about the uh, the Redlegs this week. Uh, they played some games. They played against the uh, a couple of uh, Pennsylvania teams, by which I mean the uh, the Pirates and the Phillies. The Reds took two out of three in a weekend series at Pittsburgh and scored uh, twenty three runs in three games, which is uh, which is pretty good. And then uh, against uh, let's see, actually, yeah, yeah, two, two out of three. And then they are playing the fourth game of a series at Philadelphia tonight, trying to avoid being swept. So, uh, so far uh, since the, our last show, uh, two wins, four losses. Uh, that's about in line with what we've come to expect, but uh, uh, some interesting things, I think, this this week. Uh, so what, what stuck out to you about the performances this week? You know, we do still have to talk about this stuff. Nobody really expects the Reds to be doing anything, uh, anything magical after trading away. You know, most of their important players, but after a game, uh, you know, a bullpen game in game one, not your typical bullpen game, just what I call games where the bullpen blows it for the Reds in Pittsburgh. Game two was kind of encouraging. Uh, seeing Justin Dunn only give up one earned run and five point one inning, one innings pitch. I, I like to see that. I mean, his fastball isn't much, but he's got some other stuff there. So, you know, we have to, we have to find whatever we can to be excited about. And if he could potentially blossom into sort of a back end of the rotation guy, that's something. And then, you know, Jake Fraley, Rake Fraley, continues to rake. Um, big day in game three in that Pittsburgh series. Two for two with a home run and three walks. Probably the biggest news so far. Mike Miner, win number two on the season. Oh, so, what, pop what a time the to be bottles, alive. Pop the bottles and hit the streets. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Um uh, not the Mike Miner nonsense, but uh, let's talk first about um, about Justin Dunn because you're right, a really encouraging uh, start. And um, you know what do we expect out of Justin Dunn? Not a ton right now, uh, and it's not like the Reds were getting some kind of a superstar uh, in the hall uh, with the, the Mariners before the season. But but Justin Dunn is a legit player. You know he's not a you know he's not a, he's not necessarily not a lottery. T- uh, a, a, 18-year-old lottery ticket. He's also not going to be a star. But he's 26 years old, and he, he does have some stuff. He is a guy that can contribute to, 
you know, the, the Reds going forward. And, and as we start to get into this question that we used to ask a lot on this show in the past, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about this later, but when you start thinking about the next good Reds team, you know, whatever that's going to be, Justin Dunn absolutely has a shot to be on that next good Reds team. Now, is he going to be a front end of the rotation guy? No. Uh, but, you know, they can't all be uh, be Hunter Greens. Uh, I, I like Justin Dunn. I've not seen a ton just yet. It uh, flashes here and there until this last start. But, uh, I don't know, 26 years old, got a, got a decent arm, uh, uh, so a little bit of poise out on the mound. I, I mean, he's one of the guys in a lost season like this. He's one of the – if you're looking for things to, to watch, he's definitely one to kind of get a, a clue as to whether or not he can be on that next good Reds team. Yeah, I look at it like – you know, we were going into this season with, you know, some some ex- expectations. Like, like, there's a chance if these few things happen. And one of those things was guys like Vladimir Vladimir Gutierrez being a key contributor. Uh, Reaver San Martin being a starter that gives you some innings. I feel a lot better about the Justin Dunns of the world being that guy who is either back in the, back in the rotation or a guy that can be in long relief, spot start here and there. Yeah, it just it seems like his upside is a lot higher than guys we've dealt with in the last year or two. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a chance of being a guy, and a lot of these players you're watching right now are already obscure former Reds, even though they are not former Reds yet. Uh, Justin Dunn may end up being an obscure former Red, but he's also got a shot at being a guy, and so he's he's worth your time. I won't say he's appointment television like we always say with uh, Hunter Green and with uh, with Nick Lodolo, but he's you know he's. Uh, He's worth watching if you're looking for things to be interested in the rest of the way. The other guy you mentioned that I think we really need to touch on is um, Jake Fraley. Yeah. Jake Fraley. Well, here, let me just say this. Um, Jake Fraley is 27 years old. Jake Fraley is um, no one's idea of a future superstar. Okay, I, I don't think anyone's going to say that. He was a – his age 26 season last year for Seattle – played about half the season, and nothing to write home about. It wasn't terrible. His batting average was terrible, 210, but he got on base three, at a clip of 352, which is good. And his overall numbers for the Reds this year have been pretty good, albeit in just 35 games, 121 played appearances because of injury. But what's in- interesting for me is since he got back from injury and he made his first start back for the Reds on, uh, on July 30th, so we're almost a, a month here, really just 20 games that he's played since then. But he's hitting 339, 425 on base, 677 slugging, six home runs. Uh, he has earned the, the nickname that everyone on the Twitters likes to call him. Uh, am, am I right? I mean, he's been he's been fun to watch. He has been. He's the um, he's a platoon guy. He is. If, if you like Jesse Winker, there's you know he doesn't have the upside of a Jesse Winker, but. I can see in very limited size some some similarities. He rakes right-handed pitchers. Um, he should probably never see the field if the Reds are facing a lefty. But he's just been crushing it. His walks are up and strikeouts are down since he came back. I mean, if you're going to have a platoon guy and the Reds need bodies, especially in the outfield, which we have no idea who's going to be in the outfield next season. If you need platoon guys, having the, having the guy that faces the righties is the one you want first. And shoot, when you have no depth, he's a guy we're going to have to look at for a little while. And, you know, there's there's some reason for optimism there. Not all-star caliber optimism, but some, some fun can be had. I like you leading with the uh, 
Jesse Winker uh, comparison because, and that's you being a glass half full. Uh, this guy is the spitting image of Tyler Naquin to me in a lot of ways. I mean, he's you know just a, a reasonably useful guy. That's really just a platoon guy. Uh, you, but he'll, he'll if you put him against right-handers, he's gonna he's gonna be okay. He's not gonna embarrass you. And uh, and as you see now, when he's going well, he's gonna absolutely uh, rake. Um, it's also it's, the best know. the best beard on the team, I think. No brainer. <laughs> Listen, that's it's extremely important to me. Give me some wacky facial hair. I need something, anything. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, seems like a likable guy. You know, plays hard. Um, uh, it's been fun to watch him at a time when the Reds have had almost no one else hitting because everyone's either hurt or been traded. Uh, he picked a good time to uh, become. Uh, uh, he's even more Tyler Naquin-y, I think, than uh, than Tyler Naquin. Uh, I don't know. I, I like Jake Fraley. And a question that was not not has has not been asked on the show yet, but which we might, I want to think about is out of all the outfielders in the Cincinnati Reds organization right now, current outfielders in the Reds organization, is Jake Frehley the, the best bet for the next like three years? Oh my gosh. You said we had to bring this up. We don't have to. <laughs> I mean, it's not we dislike Fraley. I don't dislike Fraley. I think Fraley's a perfectly cromulent player, and and he could be a really helpful piece on a good team. Uh, any team could use a Jake Fraley in the right circumstances. But if he's your best outfielder, I mean, really, who, yeah. you know, I want to I want to say Nick Senzel's the guy, but you know, are, are you going to bet the ranch on that? You know, uh, no one else in the organization. There's another outfielder we'll talk about later. Um, but who else? Uh, you know, at the high levels of uh, of the minors. Or um, in the big leagues, there's no no one that you would count on to be decent three years from now. And I don't know that Fraley will be here three years from now, but I'm just saying he's probably got a better shot than anyone, and I'm going to go and beat my head against the wall now. <laughs> I mean, I tried to make the point on this podcast a couple times around the trade deadline of uh, you know, try to argue why it might be worth keeping Tyler Naquin. So I'm just going to replace Tyler Naquin with Jake Fraley now and pretend they're the same person, except this guy's got a better beard. <laughs> well, no, it's it really it's it's a good point. I said the same thing about Tyler Naquin. Um, I love uh, having Naquin around. You know, he's not a starting outfielder, a full time starting outfielder, and Jake Fraley's not either. But that does, you know, that's not a that's not a criticism because what they what they can do well, they can they can really do well. And uh, platoon so with Kyle I, Farmer, boom. There you go. Absolutely. Um, you had to mention Kyle Farmer. Thanks for nothing. No, oh, I don't have to I, be excited about something this season. That's it. That's the ghost. That's true. Um, only other thing I want to mention from and it may, you remember some other things you want to talk about in terms of the games this week, the actual on-field games. But uh, what about this great new starting pitcher that the uh, the Reds have, Luis Sessa? <laughs> Luis Sessa is now in the Reds' rotation. It's uh. This team kind of stinks. It's not been very fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> this team kind of stinks. That might be it's, the title uh, of this episode, Nate. I'm sorry. It's it's been fun to talk about. It's been fun to commiserate with our uh, you know the Reds fandom about the nature of this team. But watching Luis Sessa have to go out there and pretend to be a starting pitcher for a couple innings, it hurts my eyes. It hurts my soul. And I don't know why they're doing it. Yeah, well, I mean, I know why they're doing it, uh, and, and you know why they're doing it right now as well, because uh, the, the, as much as people want to give credit to Nick Crawl for what he did at the trade deadline, and absolutely, 
Pat him on the back. Great job at the trade deadline, Nick Crawl. No, uh, given the constraints he had to work with, I have no issues whatsoever with uh, what Crawl did. But the fact of the matter is, uh, his job is to put together a roster for the major league team. And I've never seen a thinner roster in my entire yeah. life uh, as, a, uh, as a as a Reds fan. And again, we can talk about the future. And they, you know, they got their halls, and they really do have a decent farm system now. And so hopefully that pipeline will start picking up, and we won't have to deal with this anymore. But his job is really to put a team on the on the major league field. And um, and even if it's not going to be a good team, you've got to be able to get enough players to uh, to handle injuries. And then, of course, when you trade everyone away, maybe no one – after trading away that many people, maybe no one could have put together a roster with any kind of depth because they were thin before the trades. Still, yeah, they were thin before. It, you know, uh, you don't get in a situation where Luis Sessa has to be your starting uh, – in your start rotation. You don't get to the situation where Mike Miner has to be kept around because you don't have enough guys to, to eat innings. Um, it's really kind of kind of a, a low key disaster, and same same in the field. You know, they they've been lucky that Matt Reynolds hasn't embarrassed himself, and that Albert Almore hasn't embarrassed himself. Uh, you know, played above their career averages uh, largely for most of the season, uh, because otherwise it could have been even uglier. You know, um, I, I don't know. I, that's that's it. so. I mean, I don't care that Luis Sess is in the starting rotation if we're fighting for the playoffs and the Reds had no pitches, so they had to put Sess in. That, at this point, who cares? I mean, are they going to lose more games? Whatever. I don't care. I wish they'd lose 120. It'd be more fun um, just to enjoy the misery uh, and you know set a record. But uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a little it's a little it's not bothersome, but it's 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 almost funny that who's the next guy? Is Ross Detweiler going to get his shot next? It's almost funny. It, it we got a lot of baseball and you know, friends in the baseball community. One of my very closest friends that lives nearby, the guy that I talk shop with the most, is a Braves fan. Listening to him go on and on about their GM and their organization, it's, it makes me say he feels bad for me. He he takes you sometimes as well. He's like, sorry, guys. I'm sorry this happened to you. I went and looked up some numbers today and because I just I saw the starting lineup for today's game. And I was just like, who are like three of these people? Like, I know I've seen their names, but I forgot them immediately because I didn't expect them to be playing meaningful innings. I was like, how bad? How bad is this team? And going into Thursday's game, they are they were on a 64-98 pace. That would uh, tie them for the 2015 team for the worst Reds team of my lifetime. So oh, right when you when you ask me to jump on this podcast full time, <laughs> help you do this thing, I don't know who to blame it on, but the finger is looking like it's pointed to you, sir. Mm, I may have to accept some responsibility there. Uh, <laughs> Because, but uh, all that yeah. aside, you know, we do have to, you know, we, we care about this team. And there was another mostly bright spot, I think, before it went south in that Philly series. And that's that Nick Lodolo was literally unhittable for over five innings. I mean, yeah, he got touched up in the sixth, but the Phillies were hit for, for five plus. Yeah. It was yeah, no, uh, the, just again, health-wise with Lodolo, that's been the, the issue uh, for his entire professional career. But my goodness, when he's on the mound, you can see him start to start figuring things out, getting better. Mm-hmm. And he just had a couple of pitches uh, in that Phillies game that were unhittable, that no one on mm-hmm. earth could hit. And uh, again, if, if you're looking for things, to, that to not, you're not, we're not dialing in to see the Reds win. Although I got to say, you know, they had a, the game where they uh, – Tied it up in the ninth, you know, and it was all, ex- all Reds fans were excited. That was kind of fun watching Reds fans get excited over a completely meaningless game uh, in a in a lost season. Uh, and then, of course, the bullpen blew it, but um, that happens. Uh, but um, 
so, so if you're looking for things other than wins and losses to watch for, Nick Liddell is at the top of your list. I mean, um, the guy is just, I don't know, everything I've seen from him and um, Hunter Green this year, who's uh, slowly making his way back, it uh, looks like. But uh, everything I've seen from those two tell me one and two starters uh, the next few years. And that's a big thing that the Reds were able to take these two guys that were minor leaguers before this year, and they look like they really are the, are the real deal. Health is the thing going to be always with uh, with any pitcher, but um, that's a huge. Again, you talk about your storylines for this you know, this lost season. To me, that's it. The Reds found. I mean, they already had a they had a top three of uh, Luis Castillo, Tyler Malley, Sonny Gray, but uh, <laughs> but they got rid of them and they found a one and a two and maybe a three uh, as well. But uh, we do have some news about uh, about your guy this week. You want to uh, pour one out for for your boy? I am not going to pour one out just yet. So we're talking about Graham Ashcraft, of course, who went on the IL with a bicep strain. This morning, I listened to um, his appearance on the Jim Day podcast, which was super entertaining. Um, makes me like Graham Ashcraft even more. Just listen to him go on for 30 minutes about Graham Ashcraft things. But he talked about feeling a little worn, a little, a little something in the Met series. And that they had, had talked about shutting him down then. They, they dialed back his workouts and stuff, and he felt good enough to go on. So he is already um, solidly over his like the most innings he's ever pitched as a pro. The optimist in me here is just going to say, hey, that's it's, it's not shutting him down. Just give him a break. He's young. This season doesn't matter. Let's just give the, give the young fellow a rest. I, I'm that way with all three of them. I, you know, I really don't care mm -hmm. if – uh, Ashcraft, Lodolo, or Green throw any more the rest of the season. Obviously, you know, uh, watch their innings limits and, and protect them, but no reason to push them uh, in a season like this uh, too far past their innings limits. So, uh, yeah, Ashcraft was uh, uh, placed on the injured list uh, along with uh, Matt Reynolds was placed on the injured list as well. And then the Reds also optioned uh, catch on Michael Papierski to AAA Louisville. So three roster spots open. Uh, one was taken uh, taken by Stuart Fairchild, who is, you know, he, he played at ACC baseball in college. But the other two are two of my favorite players now in the Reds. Um, the uh, the return of TJ Zoik. And then catcher Chucky Robinson. Now, did you see Chucky Robinson uh, the other night when he got the start? First, first major league hit. Got to get a little romantic hit. about that. Well, and, and and what's romantic about that story, for those of you that don't know, to me anyway, is that uh, Chucky's father and grandfather both were professional baseball players, and here's Chucky making it to the big leagues and getting a start and then getting a base knock, and so great baseball story. name too, incredible name. We, I, that's what I mean. Papierski's a pretty good name too, but I, I, Chucky, we need to keep Chucky just for his name. So, but Graham Ashcraft, yeah, that's a you know, I, I, I wish he were not on the injured list. It does not sound like it's anything, you know, uh, to be that concerned about. And so that's always what you worry about. But um, I found I it interesting listening to him say that he thought he was going to be a closer. He did not see his career playing out as a starter in the big, big leagues. I don't know if that was just, you know, him sort of projecting what he wants to do or if that's just kind of what he was told. Like, hey, this is the kind of stuff you have. But uh you usually you think people just want to be starters until they're told they can't be. For him, it sounds like he thought he was going to be a closer, and they're like, "Wait a second, maybe we should try this other thing." I don't, maybe it's the same reason that every time you and I talked about him until he actually showed up and was a, became a great starter, 
was that he just he fit the bill to be a, a big time relief pitcher to me. That's what I kept saying every time you mentioned him. Uh, but if he can stick as a, a again a number four starter, if can he be a number four starter? If so, man, bring it on. Yeah, uh, much more valuable. Now, um, and and you mentioned that he was, you know, uh, kind of feeling it a little bit, getting getting a little tired. But you know what? Last four starts, uh, 2.33 ERA. Um, held opponents to a 6.11 OPS in 110 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. So he did. He had some rough stretches at times. He's got again rookie pitcher, but he's another one that if you're looking for for things to be positive about with this red season, he's way up there near the top of the list because just everything everything about his season to me has been just a delight from just watching him with his smelling salts to watching him just bulldog on the mound and I don't know uh, he's a. Uh, He's a fun guy to, to root for. All right. Yeah. Um, can, can we talk about – did you have anything else to say there? Did I interrupt you there, Nate? I'm sorry. Not really. I was just trying to go through his game log really quickly to see what it looked like. And it looks like he really only had two bad games, two games that you would just call bad. He had several OKs and several greats. But to be a rookie and to have a <laughs> – a floor, like a basement as high as I feel like his basement is. You know, he doesn't have the ceiling of some of these other guys, but when you're you know, when, when you're just keeping your team in ball games the vast majority of the time, that is that is such a hugely important piece. And even if that ends up just being a back end reliever, he if, if his floor is either a back end rotation starter or a shutdown, you know, high leverage reliever, then I want to keep this guy in my life for a long time. He's bring he's brought me more joy than just about anybody on this roster outside of Joey. So, <laughs> yeah, no question about it. And again, he's a he's a, a kid that you can see be on that next good Reds team um, whenever that is. You mentioned Joey Votto. We probably should mention that Joey Votto uh, or some some news about him uh, this weekend that he underwent surgery on his left rotator cuff, and uh, and as it turns out. According to uh, everyone's uh, favorite uh, general manager, Nick Crawl, who did some talking this week, he said the surgery was a little more than expected. They also repaired uh, Joey's left bicep. So, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, that, that's not a good thing that it was the surgery was, quote, a little more than expected. But hopefully everything good. He'll be back ready for next season. Yeah, um, it was a successful surgery. So right. awesome. Love that. Did you see that uh, the, uh, on Instagram that uh, Joey and Tyler Stevenson had uh, a picture together showing off their surgery, uh, their uh, you know the, the machinery on their arm, you know, arms. I, um, I think those two have a sneaky bromance, and I am here for it. So I listened to an interview with Tyler Stevenson earlier in the year, and he was talking about how crazy it was that. You know, a year or two ago, he got to meet like one of the greatest players that he'll ever be around, Joey Votto. And then a year later, he was coming to his wedding. <laughs> That's like, crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, uh, so get, get well soon, both those guys. We need you. We need both those guys full strength next year. Here's a question for you, though. Does it seem like a theme that Reds players keep being more injured than we're told they are? And apparently, than they are told they are a lot of times. You know, Vado, India's leg, which, you know, they're like, oh, sorry, it might literally explode on an airplane. We're going to you know, be careful with that. Moose is constantly hurt. I don't know. It seems like whenever these guys get hurt, they don't put them on the IL. I just – I don't know what's going on. Like, I feel like it's one of those things where there is probably a very good reason. It would be nice to know what that reason was. 
Yeah, this has kind of been a consistent storyline for the Reds for years now. Uh, the other news this week was that Jonathan India is still struggling with that same injury. And, I, you know, shut him down. Put him on the injured list. <laughs> Let yeah. the guy get healed. What are we What are we doing here? They were saying they don't win more games. Before we started recording, they were saying he could be back in the lineup tomorrow. Okay. Why? Why? If he's if he's healed, <laughs> get him back in the lineup. If he's not healed, get him healed. He's he's going to be one of the cornerstones of whatever you've got going on for the next few years. Uh, I, you know, this is always been one of the questions because this comes up every once in a while when you talk when Reds fans talk uh, about uh, the Reds. You know, they never want to put somebody on the on the disabled list, you know, or the injured list. They never want to. Uh, uh, maybe some misdiagnoses occasionally. And um, I often wonder if this is a thing to us because we follow the Reds so closely that maybe every team feels the same way. Um, and I don't follow any teams to the depth where I would know if this was going on, if another team's fan base was uh, was whining about this. So, so I don't know, but it does seem like it happens a lot. And it's been happening for years, the Reds. Maybe just being too cheap to bring somebody up, pay them the major league minimum to fill a roster spot instead of putting somebody on the because you put somebody on the injured list, you have to pay that person plus the person you bring up. That's <laughs> you got to pay two players for one roster spot. Come on, that doesn't make much sense. God, I hope um, that's not the case, but that's a good point. Yeah, me too. So, uh, last real news of the week, I guess, that we uh, should talk about is um, that there's not much to say about it, but the 2023 MLB schedule was announced the Reds are uh, going to open against the Pittsburgh Pirates and um, in in September the Mariners are coming to Cincinnati which I thought was good but to me the most interesting thing was the way that for the first time ever all 30 major league teams are going to play each other during the season essentially they've cut down the number of uh, inter in interdivision games uh, to uh, they had been what I think 19, and they're going to be uh, 13 games each within the division, and then they're going to play uh, since they play everyone else uh, during the season. So I, I don't I, these these schedule stories are generally just they announce them and everybody's like, oh look at the schedule, and oh I got to go see this series. And I'm just like it's a schedule, you know, whatever. Tell me who's, tell me who they're playing tonight, but um, and I and I'll turn it on. But uh, interesting little tweak that major league baseball did with the schedule it's it's probably good if you're going to do interleague play just go all in and let's see everybody i'm i'm okay with it yeah i hear a lot of people or see a lot of people really upset about this that, that's ruining baseball that interleague play you know the teams are it's supposed to be a be a thing they didn't like interleague play when it came out first off the leagues used to be kind of different you know dh no dh they're not anymore roster construction is the same and if you're telling me that i can instead of watching another six games against the Pirates. I have a chance to see Shohei Otani or Aaron Judge, yeah. Mike Trout, play in my backyard. <laughs> I, I don't understand the argument. Why would you not prefer seeing stars? Well, some of this is the old man yelling at clouds. If I had my way, I'd go back to the, the, the pre-interleague uh, uh, play days because I didn't like interleague play at the time. don't necessarily like it now, but guess what? That ship sailed. And if you're going to do interleague play, then this is by far the best model that they've used to me of any of the interleague play uh, models that they've tried. Uh, it, it makes the schedule uh, a little fairer for everyone because uh, more teams are playing the same teams uh, as, as opposed to, you know, if you're playing more games inside the division, that's maybe a better way to get a division a champion, for example. But I don't know, it's a, when you're talking about seeding playoffs and you have a team that gets to play against the Pirates and Reds uh, 30, 38 times, 
And so they have a lot better record than some team playing. It has to play against the Dodgers and Padres and um, Giants, you know. Uh, but but all that's just whatever. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I I, I whined bitterly about interleague play back in the day, but uh, you would deprive 15 teams, 15 fan bases from seeing Mike Mustakis run as hard as he can in a tight fitting <laughs> uniform. How dare you? You are you are Ooh. no longer a man of the people. Uh, hey, hey, Mike Mustakis, uh, he got hurt again, but then he came back the next day. He didn't go on the injured list. So, uh, man, that was exciting. I think he hit a couple home runs. Oh, Malibu Mike is uh, is getting hot at the right time. Man, it's about time. We need it. We're gonna need a first baseman since Joey Votto's done. I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. Um, one last thing I want to talk about before we uh, we're gonna veer off and uh, maybe get into a little bit of a fight, a brawl perhaps. But can we talk just briefly about uh, Aristides Aquino? If we must. Or, or, or do you want? Or do you want to wait and do the other thing first? No, let's do the Aquino thing. I mean, you, you wrote a great piece. I think it's worth bringing up. And there's been a lot of conversation around it by a lot of people in Red's media. So get us started. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that, listen, Aristides Aquino is never going to hit. I'm sorry. I love the guy. I really do. He's never going to hit. We, uh, you know, there's, the only reason that he is getting yet another shot this month is because of the, the roster construction we talked about earlier. That the team didn't, the, the Reds management's gutted the rosters, so you got to have some bodies. And he's there, and he's relatively cheap. And also, remember that one month where he was really great. Um, you know, uh, essentially, Aquino, he has some. Uh, he there are some things about his game that he's actually good at. His defense is legit. By Statcast metrics, he's the fastest player on the Reds. He um, his arm is just amazing, just absolutely incredible. I'm gonna get uh, a couple times this week, but most recently in the, uh, I guess the Wednesday night game, just a gorgeous, gorgeous throw uh, to nail another runner at home plate. I don't know why anyone runs on Aristides Aquino at this point, uh, but you know he's a right fielder in the major leagues, and um, I'm sorry. I wish he would learn how to hit. I wish he would learn to hit a um, a breaking ball. Since he got his opportunity this month, he's hit 177 with 236 on base, 235 slugging, struck out 21 times in 55 plate appearances. Uh, you know, some people, Doctor, I mentioned, say he's been hitting better lately. No, he's not. And I'm, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to dump on the guy. I love the guy. And I, that, that August that he had in 2019 is going to go down as one of my all-time favorite memories as a Reds fan, just watching that happen, him hitting more home runs than any rookie um, uh, in baseball history uh, and tying the Reds' record for most home runs in a month in his first month in the big leagues. But the fact of the matter is he's just – he's stop hoping for him to be a, uh, a hitter because it's just – at this point, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I, I wish I were wrong. So I, I proposed in my comment that they should make him a pitcher. That arm he's got, just put it – we need relievers. Make him a pitcher. My thought is, if he wants to stick around in Major League, why would he not be amenable to trying? I mean, if the guy was even a had like a 700 OPS, then there might be some value there with his, you know, I don't know if it's a lead or not, it was really, really good defense. But he's at a, a, a 515 OPS right now. That's a long way from seven. I will say, like, you know, it's kind of a lost season for us once again, but it, it has been super fun <laughs> watching him 
on the defensive side of the ball. It seems like every other game he does something electric out there. It kind of reminds me of this guy back in, I think it was 2019, that it's really cool stuff for the Reds while playing right field as in August. Oh, there's Aristides Aquino. Yeah, same guy. So, yeah. Other, other side of the ball, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Let him pitch. Let him try something. I don't I don't understand any of this, uh, the love for him. The guy is one of the worst hitters I've ever seen get the at-bats that he's getting. I don't want that to be the case, though. Yeah, yeah, and uh, our our uh, our guest that we're going to bring on here in a moment uh, just sent us a, a note that his defense is elite. It's true. He leads all uh, outfitters in defensive runs saved, even though he's played roughly a third of the innings. Uh, um, and and the arm is legit, and the speed is legit. He gets he takes good routes. I mean, he that's the thing. If he could just hit his way out of a paper bag, he could stick. But I see no indication. I mean, he's twenty eight now. He's gonna be twenty nine next year, uh, and 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 truthfully. If you look back at his minor league career, he had the one good year, and it was that year, 2019, because he he struggled so bad in 2018 that the Reds dropped him from the 40-man roster. And so any team could have had him, uh, basically, and he ends up signing a minor league contract back with the Reds uh, pretty quickly and uh, changes some things about it. After we talked about Eric Davis saying he didn't want to adjust, he changed some things in his stance in the offseason and had a, 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 a just an incredible power season at triple a and when and then again in his first month but then in september that year people don't remember he was awful in september he's been awful ever since um again i feel like i'm dumping on the guy when i don't want to i, I like the guy but i just i don't see any evidence that um he's gonna hit and if he's not gonna hit i, I don't know how you i don't know how you stick it in right field i mean billy hamilton he did because he was a comic book superhero but air cities is not he made adjustments once before. He needs to do it one more time. Just go from crow hop and go to a wind up from the stretch and launch. It can be done. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure. We've got a couple of uh, viewer mail questions about Aquino. So let's go ahead and uh, and get into uh, – we'll get into one of those, the first one, and then we'll uh, take up the second one later. It comes from our buddy Seth Shaner. These questions, as always, come from our friends at patreon.com. Slash Riverfront Cincy. That's patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy, where you too can support the Riverfront. What was the most impressive aspect of Aquino's throw last night? To me, even beyond the speed of the throw and the distance it traveled, it's the fact it never got more than around 10 feet off the ground. It was a laser. Someone ought to suggest trying Aquino on the mound. Yeah, good call, Seth. <laughs> it was. If you haven't seen it, go, go watch it. It was, a, it was amazing. It reminded me of, uh, in the, I think it was 1979 All Star game, Dave Parker. Had a throw very similar from from uh, right field, um, and it reminds me of one that Eric Davis made in I think the 1990 National Championship Series. Maybe I'm getting that confused. Maybe, but anyway, uh, yeah, that low it, it, it one bounce, perfect. Could not have been better. Just absolutely perfect. Yeah, that's the accuracy for me. That's what I find the uh, most impressive is that he seems to throw it on a dime every time. Maybe he needs to just transition out of baseball altogether. Go be Joe Burrow's backup. There you go. Uh, about Burrow, one moment. First, before I say this stuff about putting him on the mound is it's, it's tongue in cheek. You know, I mean, come on, it's really hard to be a big league pitcher. But um, one thing that uh, long time uh, guest of the show, Chris Garbers, always said is every time you're getting ready to release someone, try them on the mound. Every single one of them. If uh, you know one in a thousand works, well, you found a pitcher. You know. And it's it's the search for the next Kenley Jansen, who was a catcher that was about to flame out of the, the minor leagues in the Dodgers system. And then he 
try him on the mound. He becomes an elite closer. So um, it's really hard, and no one would expect him to do it. But I, I think it's always, I always thought it was a great point. Ever before you release anyone, try them on the mound. Why not? What's it hurt? You know, which is what's going to happen is we're going to have Kyle Farmer as our number three starter next year. Now, let's say that. <laughs> so, hey, let's uh, let's veer a little bit. Uh, you know, depending on which uh, which way you're looking, let's veer a little bit left away from Great American Ballpark for a moment, um, or I guess right if you're looking from Cincinnati. Um, Nate, who do we have with us here? If I'm not mistaken, we have good buddy, friend of the podcast, Joe, my favorite Joe. He might not be president, but he's number one to us, Joe Farsing. Here's that- a little Bengals talk. Joe, how are you, brother? I'm doing good, guys. How are we doing? Doing well. Hey, uh, nothing interesting happening with the Bengals today, huh? No, just another boring day at the <laughs> in training camp. Um, little, unless you like a little Donnie Burke between the Super Bowl uh, teams. Or, or, that that or, or, or Kerfluffle. I don't, I don't know where that ranks in terms of <laughs> yeah, right, sure. melee terminology. Uh, yeah, they were doing some some hugging. They were, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting. What happened there? Uh a lot of people were had their helmets forcibly removed from their heads, and said helmets were then used as weapons. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw the video. Aaron Donald had Bengals helmets in each hand, swinging, clubbing various. Hopefully, not the helmetless Bengals in the head. Uh, he somehow they still knocked him on his butt, which is pretty funny. But um, L. Collins had. I think it was Leonard Floyd's helmet. He was swinging it and chucked it across the field. It was raging good time. Wish they I mean, would have. Uh, need, they needed some ropes and turnbuckles and a little WWE style moves and golden. These are some of the largest human beings in the world swinging weapons. <laughs> <laughs> the this is poor, gladiator days. Yeah, the poor wide receivers and cornerbacks who were, you know, yeah, they're strong compared to regular people, but they're still skinny compared to 320 pound, you know, linemen had to be terrified. Yeah, they had to be. Well, we, we've <laughs> just been the last 40 minutes talking about this uh, sort of lost red season, trying to find any glimmer of, of, of happiness and optimism that we can, but there is plenty of optimism in the other direction. What is the recent news out of Bengals land? Uh, a little bit of news for anything else. Uh, Ken Riley posthumously nominated for the Hall of Fame by the um, their version of the Veterans Committee. Um, two years too late because he passed in 20, unfortunately. The Bengals screwed up by not having him in the Ring of Honor until after he died. Regardless, um, I think during the week of the Super Bowl, they will vote. And anyone who's been past this point of nomination, at least for the past six, seven years, have ended up getting inducted. So it's basically his rubber stamp to uh, to be inducted next year. Cool. Thank God. Um, long played, overdue, though. I mean, yeah, one of the biggest well snubs, I think, in uh, in the entire league. Yeah, it's um, he uh, retired after 1983, played 14 years, 70 to 83. His last year made all pro, eight interceptions, two pick sixes. Not bad way to uh, you know, no. mic drop moment. Uh, fifth, retired fourth most interceptions all time, now fifth most because Rod Woodson surpassed him. But you look at guys that are um, pro football reference has Hall of Fame monitor where it has all, you know, measures guys based on their stats, uh, accomplishments like pro bowls, all pro uh, team championships, which is kind of bullcrap as a, you know, 
that doesn't measure how good a player is, but he was by far the highest rated cornerback that wasn't, you know, that was eligible that wasn't in yet. There are a lot of Bengals on those lists, but that's another story for another day. Um, yeah, he's still tied for the team leading games played with Kevin Huber. Uh, I think Huber is going to lose the punting job, so at least he'll retain that. Um, Well-deserved. Again, damn shame. It, it had to wait until after he passed, but I know his son was uh, was hearing some of uh, interviews with his son when his uh, when he got the call. He was just absolutely lost for words and uh, just well overdue, but well-earned moment for the Riley family. Um Jesse Bates yeah, is back. No one is surprised. He waited out as long as he wanted or as long as he felt he needed to on the uh, sign the franchise tender. Working on the side this week, so he wasn't involved in the fracas. We, have we used fracas yet? I think it's a, a new one. Yeah, we use fracas. Um, uh, he'll no doubt he'll be ready in time for September 11th when the lights go on versus Pittsburgh. Um, I'm excited to see what the defense back what the defense is going to look like with him. Uh, Dax Hill, I've got more on him later, but uh, and Von Bell, it's if he plays where he's, you know, where Jesse's kind of average out to play, that that's going to be a hell of a defensive backfield. I got to say, um, that was one of the the least contentious holdouts yeah. I've ever seen. He's yeah. just like, ah, I'm probably going to play. I love the guys, love the franchise. I just think I should get paid and get an extension, and you know, I'm going to make you sweat it a little bit, but I'll be back. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, no, I mean the. Bengals wanted to bring him back at their number. Um, he wanted to be paid higher, and the Bengals have bigger fish to fry down the line. Joe Burrow is going to be the highest-paid player in history when he's you know next offseason. Uh, T. Higgins is up for uh, he can get a contract extension next offseason. Uh, Logan Wilson, uh, Jamar Chase is a year off, so I mean you got to pick and choose your battles. As great as Jesse Bates is, the safety market keeps going higher and higher. Um, Derwin James just signed an extension for 19 million a year. Bates is going to want that money, and maybe he deserves it, but he's not. He, Bengals can't. Bengals can't pay that. They don't have. You know, they've got too many other guys to pay. Um, he was at. You know, he stayed in Cincinnati the entire time. The uh, first preseason game, he put on Instagram or Facebook or some social media that you know picked his feet on the uh, railing at one of the suites at Paul or Paycor Stadium. So, no, no one. You know, no one thought he was going to. Um, stay away from the team until it was close enough to where, you know, he can get in game shape. He's going to miss out, you know, going to uh, miss a lot of the contact. So no, you know, no risk of injury. So. Yeah. I love hearing the stories about him uh, giving hugs to the lunch or the cafeteria <laughs> ladies when he came back. <laughs> he's a great dude. And it's it's going to suck when he's playing some uh, elsewhere next year. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I mean, they drafted his replacement anyway. You know, anyway and you, you only have so much money to pay everybody people are going to try to paint it as the Bengals being cheap it's no you have you're gonna to have to pay 60 million dollars a year for uh for burrow next year so yeah and you mentioned uh, kevin huber is there any other um you know big position battles that we need to keep our eye on uh left guard is still well i was here two weeks ago it sounded like it seemed like uh jackson carmen had it had a firm grasp. You didn't really hear any news. You heard that Bolson was making, you know, mistakes like you'd expect from a fourth rounder. And then the first preseason game happened and Carmen just looked absolutely lost. He made uh, made mistakes, uh, mental mistakes, missed uh, assignments, holding penalties. Um, he got injured his elbow and then came down with COVID. And he's, and it's 
now it's Cordell Olson's job. To, uh, I mean, he, he probably he might not even get any snaps uh, in the next game just to hold him out with the starters. So, so much for that battle. I, you know, uh, Volson looked decent last week. Uh, a couple of mistakes that were mistakes that you're going to have. It's uh, missed a blitz pickup. Either he uh, was late switching or just totally missed it. But these are things that's going to happen, and he's going to have a veteran. We lost Chad. And he's got a uh, veteran surrounding him on either side. So that's, you know, those things are going to get uh, mitigated. So outside of that, the only other um, um, battles are between the specialists and uh, punt returner, kick return. I don't know how exciting those are. It's probably going to be, uh, um, I, I think they're still going to have to go with the receivers, the uh, Lasseter, Comey Lasseter Jr. And, um, Trent Irwin this uh, this last game to see who's going to win that uh, kick yeah. returners looks like it's going to be Chris Evans, which is he's looked outstanding. So everyone else is set. Yeah, Evans was not on my radar until he his name has just been everywhere for the last you know month or so. He's back. I'm pretty excited about that. Do you? Um, has there been any any key injuries? It seems like mostly they're pretty healthy. Anybody yeah, that you um, are worried about the only one, and it's not really even worried about uh, Cam Taylor Britt, who was the second rounder out of Nebraska. Um, was they were hoping that he'd be able to push Eli Apple to start earlier in the season. He had a core muscle injury and had surgery, uh, considered week to week. I I haven't even heard any status update for the opener. I would assume it's in question. He, he might miss the first. It might miss a week or two coming back from that, but no reason to think it's anything long-term. Um, it was a long shot that he was going to win the job outright. It just gives the guys behind him more reps when they go into diamond nickel and need that extra fourth or fifth uh, defensive back. Yeah, well, it's, it's just so weird having this buzz in Cincinnati over a sports team. There's like a sports team in general, but specifically the Bengals. Did I say it right, Bengals? We're getting there. It's you, so long as you don't sound like um, Phil Simms. He says Bingles, B-I-N-G, and, and, and that's just infuriating. I feel like um, that's what we say. <laughs> it's I feel I feel seen. You, you, you guys kind of bridge the gap between Bingles and and and, and Bengals, so I, I think you're getting better. Well, it's just interesting to me, uh, and you can tell me because you're more of a long time uh, watcher of of the Bengals. I, I've I've been checked out on football until the last couple of years um, for a while, but the buzz around this team in this city is right now is at a sort of levels that I don't remember it before. And it's levels that I would give anything to have Reds fans buzzing before a season like this. It's just, you know, nobody screwed anything up yet. Not saying the, the, the Bengals are going to screw anything up, but it's all hope right now. And you're coming off a season where there's real reason to hope. And you've got that, you know, the, the, Receiving core and that quarterback whose name I can't remember, um, Kenny Anderson or I don't know, Boomer or something. But uh, oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I just I, the, the buzz is something that I'm desperate to have again as a Reds fan. Um, and so I, I, maybe I'm I'm shouldn't be speaking for you, Joe. But are you, are you feeling is it, is it more intense than it's ever been preseason? It, it's definitely palpable. I mean. Um, I don't remember the Bengals ever having this much buzz going into seasons before. I mean, even last decade, they made playoffs five years in a row. After the first couple of years, it was kind of, 
okay, they're going to make the playoffs, and then how are they going to crap the bed? Um, in the early Marvin years, they were kind of surprised that you know when they popped up, and then they kind of were mediocre. Um, again, going into the season, it was kind of optimistic but tempered. Um, I, you're just you know you're coming off of the lost decade of the '90s where they were awful year after year after year. That every you know you're you're hoping that they do well. You think they've got, you know got a chance to do well, but you know, waiting for that shoe to drop. This year, I mean, it's not that it's world or uh, world series, wow, Super Bowl title or bust, but this team is expected to do really, really well. Um, the team or the, or the city is like they're ready. I mean, I mean, it's been 32 years since the Reds won. No, you know, that's got such a. I know. Yeah, we've no- we noticed. I, I, yeah. Uh, I, was, well, last, last, last Bengals question for you here uh, before we get back to some, some viewer mail, but and this is the most important one. If the, the Bengals were to decide to trade Joe Burrow, what kind of a haul could they get? Could they get a haul for Joe Burrow? Man, can you imagine a haul? I would get a U-Haul and move the hell out of the city. <laughs> Oh, come That's on. That's what it would take. Think about all the prospects they could get. <laughs> like, I don't know, high school juniors or something, you know, the rights to draft some high school juniors down the line. Man, it'd be exciting. What Jamar a- Chase can get a long snapper and a punter to be named later. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't wait. No, that's, uh, let's not, let's not put the uh, bad reds uh, juju on the, uh, on the Bengals. Hey, hey, Joe, thanks for coming in, uh, giving us a, an update. Uh, always good talking to you, obviously. Um, it's more fun talking to you about a team that has a chance of winning. So uh, it's good to break it up a little bit here. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Can you stick around for a little bit of viewer mail? Or do you got to no have to go? There is nowhere All else right. I'd rather be. Excellent. Let's oh, not... I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> statement of my <laughs> life right now. I've ever heard. <laughs> All right, let's get into some of these viewer mail questions. These come again from our friends at patreon.com slash riverfront. Let's go to the question from Rich Thompson. And uh, Rich uh, tried to be uh, not as long-winded this weekend, and he failed. Um, love you, love you, I Rich. Actually, I actually removed a couple sentences to make it more readable. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Um, yeah. Now, we're going to probably do a little bit of rapid fire here because we are getting to the end of, the, uh, of our time here. But Rich's question, as the 2022 season winds down, I think several current players realize that the futures with the Reds might be a bit uncertain for the 2023 season. Oh, please let that be the case. Uh, Aristides Aquino in particular might be such a player. With that said, what do you think will be Aquino's future moving forward? And he has uh, he has some options to choose from. The opening day 2023 starting right fielder for the Reds. A bench player for the 2023 Reds. Relegated to Louisville. Traded or released or sent to the Reds instructional uh, camp to be uh, converted into a relief pitcher to capitalize on his electric throwing arm. Um, Nate, what do you think? I mean, they'll bring him back for spring training. Um, and then I think he gets – I mean, they'll, they'll relegate him if he'll stay. I mean, if no other team wants him, they'll let him keep getting hacks in the outfield because if they're just as terrible next year as they have been for most of this year, then why not have him as filler? But well, there's, so, there's, no, there's no there's no, optimism. There's no, there's no bright side to this. There's no rosy outcome where he comes, becomes a valuable piece in my mind. Though I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he figures it out. 
Yeah, we, we've been spending most of this podcast trying to figure out ways of not being mean to uh, Aristides Aquino because we kind of like him but while also saying he had, he doesn't have a future. I, I, I think he's actually gone from the Reds organization after this year. Although he's had a couple of opportunities where he could have gone elsewhere and nobody really wanted him. It didn't appear. But um, they'll have to remove him from the 40-man roster after this season, I imagine. Are, are you going to uh, you know, keep a spot tied up with Aquino? And when they do that um, – Someone will take a flyer on him because, as as Joe uh, said earlier, you know, the de- the defense is legit. I mean, that's the real deal. That's not that's not a one month, uh, you know, August uh, flash in the pan. That's that's a real major league skill that he has. But I don't know how, how much value that has if you can't hit it all. Joe, what do you think? What's what's the future for Aquino? I think he's going to go on the next Iron Chef. He's going to be up there with Bobby Flay and uh, Masamoto. Uh, Kat Cora, actually, I think those are the old Iron Chefs, and he's going to have this Caribbean infused style that he's <laughs> the chairman's going to love him. There we go. I mean, he, he, I mean he, clearly, he's got enough future with the Reds. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back. I wouldn't be surprised if I don't know what his is he a free agent or is he still have another year? And I don't know what, what his status, what his roster status even is after this year. I, could have, should have looked well, that up. I, I, think I think it's an office space scenario where they actually fired him a long time ago. He just keeps showing up. <laughs> Clerical errors. So we fixed the air. So you let him know. We just fixed the air. <laughs> Nick Crawl's just trying not to tell him. It's it's like uh, Kramer coming into work and the boss is like, uh, I'm sorry, I got to let you go. And Kramer's like, but I don't even work here. And then the boss <laughs> is like, that's what makes this so tough. It's going to be Nick Carl and, uh, and Aristides Aquino at some point. He's just going to keep showing up uh, whether he has a contract or not and trotting out to right field. And uh, David Bell, like, oh, okay, whatever, put you in. Why not? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see him being with the Reds next year. Um, I, I mean, they'll, they'll have to put him through waivers to um, drop him from the uh, 40 man and before they can uh, send him down. So I would, know, I would be surprised if someone didn't at least take a a flyer on him. And maybe that will be the Reds. Maybe the Reds will convince him to stick around because he's gotten more of a shot here than he would have gotten anywhere else. And he may see that the Reds have literally no outfielders other than, you know, Jake Fraley and uh, what's left of uh, Nixon's sales potential. So uh, he may think that this is the best option for him. And it might be, which is. Yeah. I mean, good luck. There've been two other scenarios where every other team in the league had a chance to have him and they all said no. Yeah. Yeah. And he's starting for your Cincinnati Reds. He's actually just entering his ARB one year. He's not even arbitration eligible. So the Reds have his rights for three more years. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think he's definitely gone now. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, okay, next question comes from Kyle Kapler. Kyle asks this, based on comments made on a previous podcast, what would your thoughts and opinions be if the Reds traded Alexis Diaz at the trade deadline last month? Now, first, the first thing is um, – I don't remember these comments because most of the things I say are such nonsense. I try to forget them immediately. Did I say something about trading Alexis Diaz? In a I don't remember. Sometimes, someone said when, that? sometimes when we get heated talking about the Reds, I just black out for, for periods of time. So <laughs> It could have been during one of those. Well, I, you know, what would I have said if the Reds had traded Alexis Diaz? Um, I would have been upset, and here's why. Because Alexis Diaz is good right now but he's got some potential. Give him another year or two to really blossom and then think of the haul you could get for him. So, I mean, if you're wanting to maximize the haul, this year wasn't the year to do that. No, I'd be upset because he's a guy that is the anchor of the bullpen, I hope, uh, for a while. So, either of you want to weigh in on that one? 
how many shortstops can he bring in? Oh, oh man, so many shortstops. Yeah, I would have been, I would have been, I would have been pissed. Like he's cheap, he's young, he's he's the exact kind of player the Reds need when they're in step one of the rebuild. So yeah, if they would trade, they trade Alexis Diaz now, then I would be furious. Yeah, if you're one of these guys who wants to pretend like uh, you know, um, uh, the Reds are you know, playing 8D chess by the way they're trading everyone away and they're starting this rebuilding. You trust everything that they do, like some some people do. First of all, if, if that's you, Nick Crawl's not going uh, to kiss you, okay? Nick Crawl doesn't care about you. You don't have to defend him when he does bad things. Um, uh, that one wouldn't have made sense, though. Um, I kind of got lost in the weeds there. Um, but uh, that, that would have made sense. Lexus Diaz needs to be yeah. here. Next, yeah. next question for, comes from Rex Scott. Rex Rex asks this, living in Southern Arizona, there aren't many fellow Reds fans to be found. Probably not very many Diamondback fans either, I guess. One of the small number of uh, Red Lake Nation supporters I know just recommended a book about the 75 Reds to me, The Machine by Joe Posnanski. I'm reading it now, and I also returned the favor by letting her know about The Big 50. By the way, uh, The Machine by Joe Posnanski, if you go back in the archives of uh, of the show here, uh, Joe actually came on when the the machine was released. And we had a great conversation about that book. Joe's probably the best sports writer uh, working today. Anyway, are, are there other books about the Reds that either of you guys would recommend? And uh, well, that, let's do that first. Then the uh, the second question we answer pretty quickly. So, other Reds books? I didn't know there were other Reds books. I only read for pleasure, so I quit reading about the Reds a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, do you have? There really aren't. Very there, many. There was a um, there was a biography of Joe Nuxel that I read probably ten years ago. It was released when he was still alive. Um, I think it's 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 by Greg Horde, who was a sportscaster. Uh, I think it's Joe Nuxel rounding third. And I forget the exact title, but it was yeah. really good. Um, obviously, I'm fascinated with Joe Nuxel and his story, and I you know I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So I'd I have that book, but I haven't read it. I, it's, it's on my shelf. I haven't read it. Yet. Very good. There was one I saw that was, had, was really highly rated called The Old Left-Hander and Me by John, and I apologize for butchering your last name, Kieswetter. Oh, Kieswetter. Kieswetter. And yeah. I've never read that one. I just I didn't even know about it, but I saw it today, and I was like, that, that needs to be next on my list. It's, it's been a while since um, uh, you know, a good Reds book, book has, been, has been published, and the reason for that, obviously, is the team's not been good, and so it's tough to market a book, as I found out. Um, when, when the team is bad, uh, but, um, so I don't know, you know, um, you have to go back a ways to get a good one. Um, a guy named Mark Frost, who's written a bunch of books that I like. He wrote one about game six of the 1975 world series. That's, uh, that's pretty good. Um, and I'm trying to think what the other, kind of the best Reds books I've read are. And, you know, the machine's probably it. The machine's awesome. It's it really is, yeah, good it's for, for everybody who was not alive during that and didn't get to experience it and was pretty far removed the way I was when I read it. It paints such a perfectly clear picture of what that season was like. And, you know, if you need something to be romantic about in Red's Land, there it is. Go read that one. You you won't put it down. I just found out that Mark Frost is the same Mark Frost from Twin Peaks. That is fantastic. That oh, he really? Wrote, uh, yeah, he, he wrote... Uh, uh, like was a writer on uh, both Twin Peaks series. I, I just no looked idea. that up real quick. He, like as soon that, that that struck my you know it struck my face. I'm like oh wow, he wrote That's a uh, cool. he wrote a golf book 
called, I think, The Match. That's fantastic. Um, he's written a couple things I've read. Um, other question from Rex is this. Can you confirm that I, Rex lives in southern Arizona, he tells us, can you confirm that I'm the westernmost member of the Riverfront family? Calvin, our, our buddy from uh, the UK, doubtless wins the award for being the easternmost member. But he's asking, am I the westernmost member? And Rex, you know, I don't know. We may have to, we're going to have to go to the map because we do have a member of the family, uh, Mr. Dennis, Thomas Dennis, who is uh, in Montana. He may be a little further west than you. I, I took a quick look at the uh, the map to see if I could eyeball it. And uh, it depends on where, where each of you live in the state, looks like to me. So I think Mr. Is Dennis is in Billings, or he was. Yeah. So, yeah, big, big Billings Mustang fan for many years. He's got you guys of, uh, hash it out in the Slack channel. We can figure this yeah. out. Figure it out. Um, Joey Gaditza, maybe the northernmost member of our, of our family. Hey, guys, I start back to school on Monday. I'm excited to see the kids and settle in for another year. Got me thinking, which subjects did you thrive in and struggle in while in school? Your kids back in school, Joe? They are. They started a week and a half ago. So, mine started. Mine started three and a half weeks ago. Completely insane. Wow. Completely and utterly insane. Yes. Um, What subjects in school did you uh, thrive in and struggle in? Um, I'm trying to think of some that I thrived in, and I'm coming up blank. Um, I I was solid at study hall. (laughs) Solid. Um, lunch was usually pretty good. That's about it. What about you, Nate? Um, I still to this day have the handwriting of a mentally challenged six-year-old. Um, never, never figured that one out. Our public school system was so terrible that it was really, it was hard not to thrive. You had to try hard to not succeed in school. So school yeah. was fine. Yeah, uh, says the, the the child of two public school teachers. Um, <laughs> it's your fault, mom and dad. It's your fault. <laughs> oh yeah, you know I don't know. I, I thrived in everything. Obviously, if you can't tell, I'm absolutely brilliant in every way, and so I <laughs> I never struggled with anything. Joe, what about you? Uh, we had a gym class that was floor hockey and volleyball. Ooh, ace of that ooh. one. Uh, football, basketball was good. Um, there was archery, fencing, and golf. That I, I did really well at that. Um, Outstanding. Yeah, that, high school was, was way cooler than mine. <laughs> yeah, they had really cool gym classes. No, I I struggled with all classes, but um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed history. I still enjoy history, so that was probably my favorite. So our gym so, class was a lady that was somewhere between the ages of thirty and eighty-six who just rolled out <laughs> basketballs. <laughs> Smoke cigarettes in the office. It was a blast, and she could have been anywhere on that uh, that, that spectrum in terms of age. There was no no one knew. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. All right. Um. Next question comes from Jordan Salisbury. Jordan asks this. Okay, so with the farm system much improved, it's true, and full of some studs after this haul that Nick Crawl received at the trade deadline. It is full of some studs. Makes me wonder: Will Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft, Stevenson, and in India? be on the next Reds team to make the postseason. So uh, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, Jonathan India, and I presume Robert Stevenson. That's who he's talking about. Um, no, I no, Tyler. my joke. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Tyler <laughs> Stevenson. They can get Robert Stevenson now. He just released us all, I think. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I don't want, I'm not going to answer this. I'm going to plead the fifth on this one because I have uh, my beliefs and I, and I told you all, I'm going to always try to tell you the truth here. And um, I'm just not, I'm going to plead the fifth and choose not to answer. Nate, what do you think? <laughs> I think uh short answer is yes, though. For some reason, I'm a little more dubious about Jonathan India. I just, I'm, I'm excited to be proven wrong, but I worry about Mr. India a little bit. But I, this question led me to dive into you know prospects of years past. So I, I went down an unfortunate rabbit hole of looking at the top 100 MLB prospects ranking by year since the year 2000. And since the year 2000, the Reds have had 12 players that were ranked in the MLB top 100 that into their careers with an OPS plus over 100. Only wow. 12. The, other than Votto and Cueto, you don't – like Adam Dunn is probably the next best. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. After Adam hey, Dunn, Joey Votto is probably the next best. That's, that's fair. But it just it got me even more nervous about you – know, everybody gets – we love. We love having the top five farm system. This is awesome. We should be happy about this. Great – franchises great uh, programs do have good farm systems but pump the brakes a little bit settle down the reds top 100 prospects have worked out to the tune of austin kearns and yonder alonzo yeah well i'd actually take uh, that <laughs> over some guys maybe that those careers but um yeah i have a piece that i've been working on I keep pushing back because i don't think i really want to publish it i don't know if i will um, uh, looking back at top 10 prospects in the Reds organization uh, over the last couple of decades, because everybody's talking about our great top 10 prospects and the hit rate is not great on them. So I don't know if I'll ever get around it. It makes me sad. Everything out the window when it comes to Elliot Day Cruz. Oh, no, that guy. Yeah. Uh, now, well, I will always say, always say I don't believe anything they do until they get to the big leagues, but that guy, I'm a true believer. Man, every night it's a new, it's a new uh, highlight. Um, Graham Ashcraft of hitting. <laughs> That's the description no one's ever used before. Because frankly, I'm not quite sure what it means. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Are those five guys going to be on the next Reds team to make the postseason? Mm, yeah, let's we'll move on. I'll, I, yeah, I'll say some of them. <laughs> some of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with. I'll take that. They'll come back in the 2035 season, and the Reds will get the 10th wild card spot. <laughs> oh, I dare to dream. Sidney Price asks, what do y'all want to see the rest of the way? And he actually wrote y'all, uh, not just my ridiculous accent saying that. Uh, how about uh, Chase Petty tearing up a high A? And then what pizza topping is your favorite? So what do I want to see the rest of the way? I, I, you know, again, I hope Chase Petty, I hope all these guys do great. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to watch minor league baseball. I just – Unless I'm at the stadium, having a, having a drink and uh, taking in a game, I just I, I don't care about the Reds minor leagues. I just don't care, except in what those uh, players down there can bring to the big league team, whether as a player or as an asset to the trade. So, uh, you know, what am I looking for the rest of the year? We've talked about some of that this episode. You know, I'm looking forward to you know just uh, watching a little bit more of uh of justin dunn i like justin dunn i'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of uh lodolo if we some of him you know maybe hunger Green comes back 
Uh, I want to get a little bit more more eyes on jo- Jonathan India. I want to get healthy and see what we have because I am I'm like I'm I'm teetering. I'm confused about India right now. Um, I don't know. You know, that's uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. My, my, what pizza topping is my favorite? Um, the answer to that obviously is pineapple. Oh, trying no. to rile up the masses. Chad woke up and chose violence. Yeah, yeah. Pineapple on a pizza is a war crime. Nate, what are your answers there? Uh, a lot of things similar to what you said. I'd love to hear that, you know, by the end of the year, Tyler Stevenson is looking, you know, he's looking better. He's getting healthier. Graham Ashcraft is healthy. Hunter Green is healthy. I love to see something crazy like a uh, late season Nick Lodolo no-no bid against the Pirates or the Nationals because that's who's probably going to have to come against um totally with you on the chase petty thing i I won't see anything from chase petty i root for chase petty i root for all the future reds you know but i'm not going to see what they do because i'm not watching ia games but any any sort of progress from people that could potentially help the club in a couple years when you know the reds have a chance of being good again that's what i'm watching yeah and i'm following box scores and watching all the instagram highlights bring it on you know Mm -hmm. but I, I can't bring myself to sit down and watch the uh, the Daytona Tortugas play. Um, I don't know, just me. What do you think, Joe? Any answer to that question? What I want to see is not the Reds. So I'm succeeding. Go yeah, uh, that's actually the answer. That's actually the yeah. correct answer. The Bengals. Yeah, are, are what we're going to be watching the rest of this yeah. Red season. Um, all right, two two uh, two quick ones here. Uh, this one's not going to be that quick, but let's go for Hooper Powell first. If you were starting a team with a manager. Who would it be? David Bell, obviously. I mean, is there any other answer? You Ted Lasso. Oh, Ted, Ted Lasso. Lasso. Great answer. Um, yeah, with this organization, uh, let me just say quickly, but this organization, Ted Lasso is the only answer because, you know, um, <laughs> you got to be a goldfish. You got to have a, you can't have a memory <laughs> with this team. So um, anyway, Nate, what were you going to say? Yeah, we're looking for a legit answer. Um, I'm a big Terry Francona fan. I love what Rob Thompson's been doing in Philly. Not to be confused with Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. Um, but I'm going to go with Buck Showalter. I love what he's doing in New York. He's a just a career classic baseball guy. I don't know if anybody has a bad thing to say about Buck Showalter. It seems like the kind of... Uh, you know, lead from the front personality that the Reds are sorely lacking from anywhere above, perhaps, pitching coach. You got a name on the tip of your tongue, Joe? It doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't that matter. Was what I was, that was what I was going to say is, did you? I don't know if any of you saw Joe Madden's comments, former manager of the Angels, got fired from the Angels not too long ago, and the Cubs, obviously, and uh, Tampa Bay Rays. But uh, his comments were essentially – it really doesn't matter anymore because the, the GM and the analytics people are calling all the shots. Um, and so there's so little actual managing done these days by the manager, uh, and, which to me, actually what that tells me says to me is a dusty Baker type is more valuable under that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Cause that's stuff Dusty Baker couldn't do well, but he could manage personality, can manage personalities in the clubhouse and his strengths align with, a you know, uh, maybe the, what you need from a manager these days. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say uh, Marvin Lewis. Joe Man. J- James Scott Pyle. 
Final question here. Please say good things about our 1940 World Championship team. They don't seem to get the appreciation they deserve. Cheers, says James. The 1940 Reds won a, won a uh, seven-game World Series that year after losing, getting swept the year before. Um, but back-to-back uh, -back nationally pennants, 1939 and 40. And, uh, Nate, do you know anything about the 1940 Reds before I uh, start waxing poetic? All I know about them was what I researched for this question. They were the first 100-game winner in Reds history. Um, There's a crazy good Bucky Walters season in the mix there. Another just incredible name, Bucky Walters. Names were just better back then. And then some uh, less – these these are good things. So you take it from here. Uh, well, you would know a lot, a lot about that uh, 1940 team if, uh, in fact, you had read The Big 50. This was one fiftieth of that book. It was a full one fiftieth of the book. The two percent, <laughs> no less than two percent of the book. Um, the same percent of the book that we gave to Adam Dunn. Let it be said. Huge um, importance. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the, the thing that I always liked about this uh, this team, and you're, you're right, uh, they don't get much uh, love uh, because it's 1940. Uh, that's the big reason, and because you know, really, there weren't. Um, there weren't any real like huge, huge stars on that team. A really good team, but the thing that we liked about it and what we focused on in our chapter about uh, that team was what they called the Jungle Cat infield. Now, I had a Hall of Fame manager, Bill McKechnie, and his infield uh, was led by uh, Billy Werber, who was a uh, third baseman. And um, he, he decided he was going to name this infield the Jungle Cat infield. So he named himself Tiger. Billy Myers was the shortstop. Great fielding shortstop. He was Jaguar. Lonnie Fry. He, you know, is he he or Brandon Phillips are the second best second baseman in the history of the Reds. Lonnie Fry was really good. Um, uh, he was Leopard. Now um, Frank McCormick was the first baseman. Was actually the nationally most valuable player that year. Great defensive player as well. Um, and they wouldn't let him have a nickname. He got so mad because he didn't get to have a nickname. The Jungle Cat infield. Uh, but he was the best of all of. Them. I don't know. It was a fun team that. Uh, I, I'm not sure we could do a podcast about the 1940 Reds. I don't know if anyone would listen, but they're a, they're a fun team that is under under appreciated, I think, in Reds history. So thanks for bringing them up. Bill Lack could tell uh, you a thing or two from his adulthood. <laughs> yeah, they, after he got out of the Navy, and uh, <laughs> that was his favorite team of his 20s. Oh, gosh, Bill, I hope you didn't listen this far into the show. We love you, buddy. Um, so any final thoughts from uh, – Joe, what about you? Any final thoughts about the uh, the Bengals? Ready for the season to start. No one's gotten injured. Important, gotten injured yet. Knock on wood, very loudly. Um, Burrow's running into shape. Some of the throws he's been making look fantastic. So, who day? There we go. Nate, do you have any final thoughts for us? Just that, guys, it's it's an historic season is within reach. You know, a couple sweeps here and there, and the Reds could reach that 101 loss pace. We should not give up hope just yet. <laughs> yes, history. Bring it on. Absolutely. I don't know. I, listen, I just, all I want to say is thanks to all of you that have made it this far into the show. And they're still listening week after week. I'm amazed uh, that there's so many of you that actually download this thing, uh, pull it up on YouTube, listen every single week. Um, well, we do appreciate it. We do love you. Uh, the Patreon family, thank you so much. Love you guys. Um, Patreon.com slash Riverfront Sense. You can join us. A couple bucks, you can join us. Um, that's about all I have to say for. Joe Farsing for Nate Dotson and for Ken Riley. 
This is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone. <laughs>